0: Alright guys,
1: welcome to today's show, and joining me on the show today is Ron Brown. Now, Ron Brown is an archery enthusiast, and he sees everything from his whitetail stand. I mean, it's insane the amount of animals that walk right under him, the videos that he's got, and I guess that's what you get when you're hunting the front range of the Rocky Mountains in Canada. So, I'm really excited about this episode. I will let you know that in this episode, there is a ton of audio issues. I had like a serious malfunction of my of my podcast board out of nowhere, and it completely reset, went to my, my computer, microphone, and speakers, and all of that, and so near the end of this episode, it gets pretty crazy, although you can still hear all the content, which is a good thing if you can get past the low audio quality on my end, uh, continue to listen, and there's some good stuff in there for you, so let's jump into this episode with Ron. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life.
2: I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay.
1: All right, guys, welcome to today's show, and joining me on the show today, I have got... Actually, this is two days in a row that I've had someone from Canada on the show. I mean, totally different parts. Yesterday was Ontario. In Southern Ontario at that. So, uh, far from where you're at Ron, but Ron Brown is joining me from Alberta and I'm really excited for this episode because we've been sitting here talking for 10, 15 minutes and just hearing a few of the stories, a few of the things that you get out and hunt. I'm pretty pumped to talk. So, uh, Ron, thanks for hopping on.
2: Yeah, no problem. Like, say uh, I'm, uh, just a, a fellow that likes to hunt and been doing it for uh, a long time and, always enjoyed it. Really enjoy the archery piece. That's been my, uh, my gig for the last few years, since my kids got a little older. Um, don't really, um, still pick up the rifle once in a while when it's getting close to the end of the season or I'm competing against all those rifle guys, it gets a little hard to uh, make it happen. So in November, I tend to pick up the gun and maybe uh, get it done. So
1: nice. So why don't, why don't you share with the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe hunting history, like you mentioned, you recently got into archery, but, uh, what did hunting look like for you in the early days and how has that kind of progressed over time?
2: Well, I think I started, uh, when I was a kid, we grew up on an acreage, uh, not too far from a major city. So pellet guns, you know. I think I I remember hearing you talking about shooting songbirds in the yard. Well, <laughs> that uh, might have been me too.
1: <laughs>
2: I, I'm pleading the fifth on that one. <laughs> yeah. So you know, basically, I I think I went as far as shooting flowers or, or shooting bees off my mom's flowers at one point. There just uh, my mom had these questions about why there was holes in some of the flowers, and <laughs> so I mean, I was basically just experimenting with you know getting on target and shooting things. Yeah. Uh, graduated up to 22s and shooting ground squirrels basically there was lots of ground squirrels where i lived um and then as a kid started into uh trapping and doing stuff like that outdoorsy like my my parents were both from pretty um i guess outdoor families you know farming based um, some of them remote where uh, you know farming was or sorry hunting was a way of life to supplement your your, I guess, freezer or your food for the year. Yeah. And I continued with that, uh, until I had some kids, my kids were young. I kind of took a bit of a break. Um, and I lived in an area where I, I only uh, uh, rifle hunted because, you know, it was a pretty adequate season. Uh, we could start shooting animals or, or hunting in mid September, basically. And we had, uh, Lots of time to make it happen till the end of November, basically. Jeez. So, when I relocated, and actually it was 2001, I moved down to where I live now, which is about three and a half hours south of there. Um, and I I was sitting on the porch, basically in September, listening to the elk bugle on the property that I lived on. My father-in-law had a core section of land, and there was three creeks that kind of traversed in there, and Alfalfa fields surrounded it, so it was a natural bedding area and kind of the elk were there. Uh, you know, the wildlife was there. And I'd be sitting there cooking a steak or something like that, and I'd hear an elk bugle, and it's like, What do you mean I can't hunt until November? <laughs> so the natural thing was to I guess the first bow I had was an old York. It was a loner. Um, probably like an eighties mid eighties version cables were metal, uh, you know, string was, but just an antique 50 inches long end end, and trying to walk through the bush there. <laughs> it was not very convenient. I uh, graduated up to, you know, get a upgraded my equipment, started having some successes because it was difficult to make it happen. Uh, you know, there's a real learning curve to that archery uh, hunting. And uh, got my first elk, which was a cow. Um, in Alberta, you can hunt elk, uh, male or female, in a lot of zones, are some zones where it's specific, uh, might be a six point zone, but typically it's a cow or a three point or better bull. Okay. So, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit of regulations around it. Enjoyed the archery hunting, still picked up the rifle because we had some kids that were uh, living at home and we needed to make sure that the freezer had uh, lots of meat in there, blended family, lots of kids. So we uh, had to supplement that. Um, Other than that, I kind of live right now in a small town, about 10,000 people. Uh, There's lots of rivers. We're not very far from the mountains. We're about an hour and a half by road from uh, the east side of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, right where the boreal forest, if you're heading uh, north, you hit the boreal forest. And to the south and east is kind of farmland. So it's pretty, it's a pretty good little area because with all the, I guess, intermingling of those different terrains, it, it's pretty game rich, honestly. Yeah. Like, you can hunt moose, elk, mule deer, white tailed deer, <coughs> bears, cougars. Uh, the air that I hunt now currently, like I said, it's, it's a zone where rifle hunting is only from November 1st till November 3rd. So I can start archery hunting September 1st. Yeah. Uh, last year I got my elk on September 2nd, first hunt of the, of the year, oh, walked man. out of the bush, called in a bull, got it done. was, it was actually, so we work in Celsius. So it was plus 27, I think when I Killed that bull and that would have been probably right around 90, right? So it was actually pretty warm I Had to get it in the freezer quick um, or in the cooler right, right away. But, uh, you know, Canada's an interesting place. Alberta is a really interesting place to live because there's such a, a variety of game that you can pursue. Um, I, I got a draw tag for Pronghorn a few years back in 2017 went down there and uh actually killed a stud i got an 80 and four eighths with archery equipment um and that like say that was about four and a half hours drive south of us uh, alberta's huge right like i mean it's just a little bit smaller than texas oh man when you when you actually look at it so it's a pretty big place but i've uh really enjoyed the archery bit like say now that the kids are grown i don't need to worry about um, keeping the freezer as full. They still come to me with their hands out every year, looking for <laughs> pepperoni and garlic sausage, yep. but, uh, you know, they, they, they all have their own jobs. They, they buy groceries, but, uh, I do try to, you know, make sure there's a little bit of pepperoni or, or something I can share from the, the harvest. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's not as big a deal if I, if I don't get a deer, I, I try to target an animal that maybe is a little bit more mature. Um, I typically hunt deer and, and elk. I, I buy a moose tag every year because it's an, uh, there's a specific time I can hunt from basically that, like, I'll give you a little bit more background. So north of town is that September, like within 15 minutes of my door is that September 17th, you can hunt with a rifle. Okay. But as soon as I go south of the river, I'm actually in that November 1st rifle season. So I prefer to hunt with a bow. So I stick to the, uh, to the bow area zones. It's just, there's less pressure. I'm only an hour and a half from uh, a major center. So we get a lot of pressure from, uh, the big city hunters that come out every weekend and they just bomb down the roads, uh, you know, pollute the area the animals get pushed back into the corners of everything far away from the roads and the hunt's that much harder so yeah i stick to the archery zone and have a little more relaxed quiet time while i'm sitting in the tree stand or or walking around uh, trying to call in and out
1: it sounds like you got to figure it out if i mean season opened september 1st and you went out september 2nd and got it done
2: (laughs) well it's kind of funny because honestly yeah, honestly, uh, it's never been like that. I usually do a lot of bow hiking. We call it uh, we call it hunting, but it's really just hiking around with a bow over your shoulder. Um, you know, you get a lot of exercise. Um, I'm not a young guy anymore, so I really rely on that uh, that little bit of activity every year to kind of help me maintain my physical fitness. And last year, I didn't get my exercise. I, you know, I went from elk hunting to climbing into a tree stand and sitting there for a whitetail. And uh, I wish the whitetail were as cooperative this, this last year, but they weren't. I've killed some decent ones. I've got three Pope and young. So uh, in 2021, I killed a 131 inch uh, whitetail with a bow, you know, 25 yard shot out of a tree stand that I set up a few years ago in 20. I think the, First time I got a Pope Young was 2015. I, I shot 145 and 08s with a bow. Jeez. My buddy had passed it the day before and he said, Yeah, I got a pretty nice whitetail. I let it go. And uh, <laughs> so I came and sat with him and I killed it the next day. Um, and then a few years later in 2017, again, I actually killed uh, 151 inch with a bow. I, I sat on the edge of the field the day before, patterned him, watched where he came out of the bush. And I the next day i went up set up a ladder stand and he literally came out 10 yards in front of me and i killed him like like he came out on the same trail so it's like geez that's why i like archery hunting you know you just they're not pressured yeah they're a little more naive um and if you can get in on them pattern them like that it's it's awesome so.
1: yeah bow hunting's for me, bow hunting's where it's at. Like I don't get me wrong, I still carry a rifle. I still do a lot of different rifle seasons. But the more and more I hunt, the more I just fall in love with bow hunting. I didn't actually get out. I don't think I hunted for myself a single day here in Missouri with my rifle. Um, I took my son out, but every every hunt that I did this year was with my bow. And even looking forward to turkey hunting coming up here soon. I think I'm going to try to specifically target a turkey with my bow this year. I've never done that before. Um, So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'd love to
2: do that. Uh, So in Alberta, there is only a very small area in southwestern Alberta, basically up against Montana and British Columbia to the west, where we have a population of Huntsville turkeys. And it's actually about a 12-year draw tag. Jeez.
1: 12 year draw, <laughs> might tag be longer for than a that. Turkey, it might be
2: longer than that because a lot of people are after that tag. I, I think I'm a priority 12 or 13, so it, basically you get priority points every year. Okay, and eventually, same thing as moose. If you're a rifle hunter, uh, depending on the zone, you can go to some of the far north zones and you can get drawn every year or every two. Um, but if you're hunting in the more popular zones, it can take you five, six, seven, eight years to get a draw tag for a moose right oh man whereas the archery tag uh in some of those zones you can buy that tag every year and you can hunt from basically that august 25th to september 22nd or 23rd i can't recall the exact date and that's archery like straight up yeah. if you see one with a bow you can take it um if you can get closer obviously
1: yeah a moose i mean Five to six years, that doesn't seem like anything. And then obviously the, the over-the-counter option with a bow, that would be incredible because I don't think there's anywhere here in the U.S. that you can get an over-the-counter moose tag. I think every single moose tag that you get here is a draw tag. Uh, maybe with the exception of Alaska, but I think I every other state, yeah. every one of the lower 48 I think you have to draw, and most of them take a long time like 15, 16 plus years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I actually,
2: where I was hunting this last fall, I was sitting waiting for a whitetail, I actually had three legal bulls. I had them at like 30 feet, 10 yards from my tree stand. Two of them. <laughs> I saw that it's on like,
1: your Instagram. I was like, "Is he white? <laughs> yeah. He's got to be whitetail hunting." And these moose—that has got—that is a wild way. I can't imagine. There's a lot of people who have shot a moose with their bow from a tree stand, but that'd be pretty. No, pretty most unique. guys do it on the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: But I mean, it, it's kind of funny because uh, the farmer was pulling bales while I was sitting in the tree stand. He was actually tra- he had a tractor trailer out there and then a uh, you know John Deere with a. a a fork on it he was loading bales and the moose could care less that he was there and uh they were watching me watch the moose and i i ran into the farmer because i got permission there the next day and he said yeah we figured you didn't have a moose tag because, <laughs> because they were just feeding all around me i had uh like i said five or six cow calf pairs and uh i think i counted 11 moose in the field that night oh so god! it was crazy it, it It's a nice little piece of land. There's, it's alfalfa right on the edge of a, basically a a pothole lake. So, I mean, that lake, it's not farmable, obviously the farmers just let it be. And it it just, it's a natural magnet in that farmland area for all the moose in the area to kind of congregate there. And of course it was the rut for the moose rut. there. was that probably last week of September, first week of October was just crazy. Um, like they were pretty vocal. You could hear them in the bush behind me. Um, the bad thing was, is that the deer were coming from the, across the road, so across a county road, and it was probably 400 yards to the tree line where I was sitting. And they would never get close before I'd lose light. Yeah. But, uh, there was a dandy in there. I bet you he was close to 160 inches. So I was waiting for him. You know, I passed a few younger deer. I had one. 10 point, like he's five by five. I don't think he would have been more than 140 inches, but I passed him because I had that one deer in mind. Yeah. I Come r- rifle season, I actually hunted for a, a week with my bow in the rifle season, hoping he'd come by. He, I kept the rifle in three with me in case he came out at 250 yards. I probably would have dumped him. Yeah. But uh, I didn't see him once rifle season started. So I thought, oh, maybe some road hunter got him. So, I gave it a week and then I went to the other side of the field and took my number two. He was a five by four. He's probably, I'm going to say he's 135, 140 inches, nice mature deer, heavy antlers, yeah. but well just, it's one of those things, oh, you know, uh, that's the other thing about the hunt in the farmland, um, the farmers and everybody get to know what's moving. Like you're hunting that last week of archery season and all the rifle guys are prepping for the next week so they're driving around like crazy with binoculars and like I mean the roads are just covered with people cruising yeah. looking for looking for bucks right so man but i think it is what it is sometimes that works to your benefit cuz they they bust the deer from the edge of the road and they push them closer to you so i mean <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah go right. ahead and stop on that side well it's 400 yards from me just push it my way <laughs> No, yeah, I was gonna say typically. trying to get on that on that buck, it would have been awesome if you could just have had like a uh a moose a moose decoy or something to carry with like to walk towards the, the buck and he'd probably be like, Oh, I see these moose out here every day. But uh to close the distance and then I was thinking, Well, no, those moose are pretty aggressive and territorial during the rut. I don't know that I'd wanna be on those. They are end absolutely
2: of that. yeah the deer definitely gave them some uh, space yeah. at that time of the year. You could tell that, uh, the moose weren't, you know, they weren't feeling it. Let's say that. Yeah. They, they, if you weren't, uh, another moose or a female moose, even like, I remember watching two female moose were fighting over a bull. Like the one was just mad as heck chasing this other cow off every time. So it's like, I don't know. Jeez. It's almost like, uh, you know, women, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know if i've had that problem before having to fight over me yeah i know <laughs> i
2: totally get that too i guess that was a stretch but...
1: yeah. every man's dream right <sighs> yeah absolutely dang so i mean that's just it, it it's crazy to think about being up in a tree stand and having a field where you've got moose and whitetail all in one spot i mean are you getting mule deer right there and elk coming down also
2: uh, actually I, the one night I did have a herd elk come in, um, right at last light, but, uh, they weren't, so they're pretty sought after, uh, the locals chase them pretty hard okay, mm-hmm. uh, because you can't take a cow or bull. So even the archery guys are out there trying to make it happen. And the elk, because it's farmland, they congregate and then into areas and they tend to find a spot where maybe the landowner isn't so you know, happy to let hunters on. Yeah. Or maybe they got family and and they're rifle hunters and they just no we don't let anybody hunt in there until uh till rifle season and then they go in there and they take their bowl and they could care less. So that's what happens when when rifle season opens, the cows you're not allowed to take cow anymore. You have to take a bowl. Three pointer better. Okay. So it's only an archery uh you can take a cow or an antlerless you can take calf if you want to, but but yeah it, they get pushed pretty hard, and uh, if if they're not on a spot where people can, or if they are at a spot where people can access them, they won't be there for long. They'll get pushed out. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's they tend to stay on the move. Um, so, but yeah, the mule deer were actually a couple miles east of me. Like I had a field that I was hunting. I had some pretty good deer there. They were probably like because of the farmland area, it's a draw tag for rifle that usually takes five years, but in archery season, you take a uh, doe or a buck and 140, 145 inches, kind of average per meal doing it here and there. There was a fella that took a, a, a slammer out there this year. I think it was 170 plus, Jeez. but that's nothing compared you go, you go a few hours, south in Alberta towards Badlands and, uh, it's just like hunting Montana. Right, it's yeah. like the yeah. muley's get bigger, they get wider because there's no trees, so their their antlers tend to grow. It's it's funny how the the landscape makes the animals grow in a certain way, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, is. You know, the white tails, um, farmland white tails obviously are bigger. Uh, the elk seem to have tighter racks in the farmland just because hmm. they're uh, or sorry, in the bush because they got to walk through the trees. It seems like genetically they just grow a little bit different um a couple years ago i think 2019 uh world record non-typical archery elk was taken probably about four hours east of me um i think it's 449 inches and change world record mule deer was killed probably about an hour south of me 355 and change and that was actually killed in the you know probably 75 80 years ago
1: right all right guys if you've been listening to the podcast i'm sure you've heard me talk about the helicopter hog hunt that i did down in texas now i went down there with rogue texan outfitters and lannon and brandon the owners put us on the animals we killed 150 pigs and 19 coyotes just from the air on top of that we went out thermal hunting at night and got up close and personal to more hogs I didn't have to worry about bringing guns or ammunition because all of that was provided for me, and it is, to this day, the most action-packed day of hunting I've ever had. I stand by what I've said in the past, and that's that helicopter hog hunting is the funnest thing that you can do with pants on. In addition, they offer sandhill crane hunts and predator calling, so if you're looking for the most exciting hunt of your life and something that you're going to want to come back and do year after year, go check out roguetexan.com and book your hunt today.
2: we got we got some we got some animals
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean just just seeing like the different tv shows from canada i mean there's there's plenty of tv shows where they're killing monster bucks whether it be whitetail or or mule deer every single year but then yeah to think about the elk up there everything even in the even in the states you can see that progress as you go from the southern states say Florida and Texas and Arizona, and you work your way up as you go farther north, the animals are just bigger, both antler-wise and body-wise, and then it makes sense for that progression to naturally continue up through Canada, but seeing the body size on some of those whitetail that are killed up there, I'm like, are you sure that's, do whitetail breed with elk? Because that looks like a whitetail elk hybrid, (laughs) I mean, the bodies are huge, huge.
2: No, uh, totally. Like, uh, I've killed some whitetails that were probably on the hoof. I would guess they'd be like 260, Uh You know, you, you get them dressed and hanging on the hook there with the hide on, they're probably still close to 180 or 190 pounds. But, uh, you know, it's all it's all you can do to get them hung up on the on the meat hook without, <laughs> yeah. a, you know, a come along and some, you know, or maybe a, a buddy named Bubba. Right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: a buddy named Bubba, somebody with a tractor or a forklift. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. they get they get challenging. We've had people come up to Wisconsin and hunt with us, and and they've seen some of the whitetails up there. And they might be coming from a southern state, Illinois or uh, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, something like that. And they come up and they're like, "Dude, these deer are huge," and I'm like, "That's just that's just a yearling doe. Like that's not even a big deer." You know, that's going to be the smallest one you shoot out here. And, I mean, we've we've killed some up there. I, I wish we had taken, uh, kept record all throughout the years of all the animals that we've killed in our family because we used to go to the corner store, just the, the gas station right down the street, and get them weighed. They had a scale out there and everybody. I mean, it was a big tradition. Everyone used to do that type of stuff. And now it's all electronic and nobody does it anymore. But to to look back and see how, how big some of the animals uh, deer were and how much they weighed I feel like would be kind of cool yeah no absolutely I mean you get an elk they're probably you know
2: cow's going to be between 500 and maybe 650 on the hoof you know you get a bull he can be up to 900 maybe even a little better and then you get a moose and you pop a thousand pounds right but yeah yeah it's it's pretty crazy like I mean they're they're just massive animals, right? So, so, and I think, I think uh, you know, probably, uh, like I'd mentioned when we were having our little chat before, the fact that it it's so cold up here, the animals have to have body mass just to stay alive. I mean, they got to have that calorie reserve or whatever it is, you know, be able to sustain themselves. Because I, I mentioned to you, you know, we use the centigrade scale here. Uh, today it's minus 29 Celsius, which works out to be about minus 20 Fahrenheit. Uh, with the wind chill, I think I read minus 37 was our wind chill, which works out to minus 34.6 Fahrenheit today. And I mean, it's Jeez. you know, it's almost noon and it's still cold. <laughs> you know, our our day our light fluctuates so much. I mean they talk about you go to Alaska and, and there's no, there's no sundown in the summer. Yeah. So for us, we'll have uh, daylight through till past 11 o'clock uh, where I live, the farther North you go, the longer it stays light. And then the uh, sun will be rising by like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. You can see that glow off in the East, um, you know, in winter. So great in hunting season. We actually follow daylight savings time here. So it's kind of funny, uh, comes around to, you know, uh, Halloween, basically, one day you're hunting till five thirty at night. The next day it's four thirty, and you've got to you're done, right? So I mean, Jeez. the guys that are maybe trying to get a half hour or forty five minute road hunt in at the end of the day work day, just all of a sudden, nope. Now you got to wait till Saturday It's on. Right? Oh so, man! But when we start hunting in September, you know, it's light till nine We'll we'll be out there in the tree stand late, and then. You know, by October, it's like 7.30, November, like I said, it's 5.30 and it's just, we lose two or three minutes on the, each end of the day, every day, wow. uh, as the fall progresses. But it's, it's pretty, pretty frustrating to be honest <laughs> with you. Cause I mean, a guy likes to be out there, um, you know, getting it done and, and yeah. the, the more time you can spend in the tree, I, I just enjoy it. It's kind of like, uh it's just so peaceful and quiet. I, I bear baited for a long time here in Alberta too. I did actually probably for about 13 or 14 years. I, I ran baits and, uh, I didn't always hunt a bear. You know, I would basically run the bait, put the cameras up, see what would come in and then make a decision about whether I would actually hunt. Okay. I ended up taking four bears myself personally. I got a really, really nice color phase back in 2015 and, uh, but I actually mentored, like I was involved with my local fishing game club, significantly did junior archery training. So the kids that were of age where they could start hunting, we would, uh, basically I'd say, if you can pull 50 pounds and you want to come hunt a bear, I've got some bears on the bait. Come sit. And I actually helped three kids uh, get their first archery kills with a bow. That's cool. Uh, all taken black bears. I mean, you'd be sitting in the tree stand and, I remember sitting myself one time and having seven bears circling around below me. But, <laughs> you know, all it was basically into me. So, I mean, there was a boar and a sow and a boar and a sow and a boar. And so, and then there was a solo boar because they pair off, right? Yeah. But there was no dominant boar. So I didn't want to hunt, but I let somebody else, you know, come in and make a play on one. So, and yeah, you know, like they got some breakfast sausage and a really nice rug or or if they want to do a mount, they could. Whatever they want to do. You have you have to take the hide. You don't have to take the meat in Alberta when you hunt
1: bears. Okay. And um, that would be so wild to just have a bunch of I mean like having deer under my stand is is exciting. To have like a bear or even wolves like <laughs> to have some type of predator, even even though, you know, they're not preying on people typically, they're typically not even attacking people, but to have something that big that has teeth and claws <laughs> right underneath my sand, not to mention the fact that they can climb those trees, uh, those videos always crack me up when a guy's sitting there hunting and a bear climbs up his tree, and he's like, almost kicking it like, Hey, get down, get down, get out of here. And of course you guys up in Canada are so polite. You're like saying, please to the bear. (laughs) I'd be like, get out of
2: here. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's funny because I remember uh, walking up to one of my barrels one time, one of my first bear baits and it was laying down. So I, I thought, okay, bear knocked it over. It's empty. I'm walking up there with, I used to use stale bread. So I'd walk up with bags of bread in my hand and, uh, when I got to the barrel, there was a young bear with his head stuck in the hole, right? And he was actually there. Like he, he was maybe 150 pound bear, but I mean, he saw me at the same time, his hair, head popped out of that barrel, like a cork just, boom. and he <laughs> took off one way and I took off the other because I was still pretty, uh, pretty green to that bear hunting thing. And I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, um, yeah. We've actually, so the area that I hunt, we have never, we haven't had, grizzly bears there for probably over a hundred years, Wow. but recently they shut down the grizzly bear hunt in Alberta, probably about, I'm going to say at least a dozen years ago, maybe 15 and uh, the bears are actually expanding quite a bit hmm. and a dominant grizzly bear boar will not tolerate another boar. So they actually spread. So we've actually got where I hunt there. I know there was a big sow and she had twins. And that was three years ago. So those twins are now two grown bears, Jeez. and I mean, there's grizzly bears where we haven't seen grizzly bears for a long time, and they still won't open up the hunt. Yeah, somebody's going to have to get eaten before <laughs> before they decide to do something about the number of grizzly bears that are showing up. Same thing with uh, mountain lions, like cougars. We've, you know, um, I, I live on a on the edge of a green zone right in town. And I have mule deer walk down my street every day in the winter. Uh, in the summer, we get reports of bears raiding gardens on the edge of the green green zone. They're eating apples out of apple trees. They're, they're in people's fruit patches. And, and uh, we had some cougars uh, seen in town as well a few years back. So we got a Tim Hortons. That's kind of like uh, the coffee place in Canada, right? Okay. So... It's um I'm trying to think Starbucks it's equate it equated to Starbucks, right? okay so there's a it's in between um there's a major two major access points to the lower part of town and the Tim Hortons is in the middle of that and the highway runs right beside it and a fellas I don't know he was traveling he stopped and he was walking his dog or uh, along the edge of the bush by the Tim hortons and a cougar actually came out and grabbed his dog and that's in town Jeez. and he, he literally had to punch it and it let go of his dog but yeah like i mean there's cougars in town so.
1: <laughs> you roll your window <laughs> down real quick and right back up at a drive-through just in case man that's that's <laughs> wild
2: <laughs> yeah i know like say it's a small town ten thousand people um i think i don't know if i mentioned it on uh, other than the pre-interview there but Seven and a half hours roughly north of uh, Montana is where I okay. live. Okay. Um, um, like, say, just east of the Rockies, about an hour. So it's a beautiful place, but uh, it's
1: wild. Yeah. So, <laughs> so your number one and number two passions are basically whitetail and elk. Is that right? Yeah.
2: That's typically what I pursue with the most passion every year. Okay. I do buy the uh the Muley tag because it's an incidental archery tag. I can take a Muley with my bow. Uh so I buy that and the moose tag just in case I'm like I'm actually an outside salesperson, industrial sales guy. Okay. So I travel a lot. So I get a lot of scouting in, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> uh you know, like it's nothing for me to drive four, five, six hours a day. Uh so I get to see where the game's hanging out. I'll throw cameras up occasionally and come back and check them a month later, um, you know, and yeah, it just, it's part of what I do when I'm, you know, in my personal life, I, everybody knows me at work that yeah. Come September, Ron's going to be hunting. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> right. But uh, That's yeah, cool. no, I,
1: we, uh, what is it like in your area? I mean, is that pretty typical like whitetail and elk or king around there or um you know are, are more people focused on mule deer on moose what is what is the hunting culture like there in your town uh so yeah typically um so there's a lot of moose
2: hunting that happens but it is a draw tag uh for rifle hunters yeah so it takes a few years to get a draw tag but there's you know, enough, there's a quota for animals that are taken. So every year somebody gets hunt moose, right? It's not like they don't, they just shut it down. Yeah. But I mean, so for instance, uh, like say between the moose, there there's elk, which is another one that's pretty, pretty sought after. And then whitetails. Uh, typically the mule deer is a little more for the Southern areas. Yeah. Although some of the bigger ones are taken uh, further North. But those are draw tags. They take, you know, eight to 10 years to get in those zones because the animals are known to be big. Um, So there's a, you know, you can go to a place where maybe the draw is not quite as active and draw tags sooner, but the quality of animals is going to be less. Yeah. So, is but the archery really gives, opens the door. Oh yeah. Because the archery, it doesn't in every zone. Like I say, every zone is different. Um, So you can, In some zones with a general tag, buck or doe, we're talking about mule deer. Whereas other zones, it's like straight up draw. You have to have a draw to hunt even with an archery tag.
1: All right, guys, I'm excited to introduce the new age of accessing private property for hunting and fishing with Infinite Outdoors. I joined the Infinite Outdoors crew on a duck hunt in Colorado this fall, and the experience was unmatched. We were able to book the property right on their app, get directions to the blind, and had the whole place to ourselves, all for a super reasonable price. Infinite Outdoors has developed a unique way to combine conservation, technology, and private land access all through their US-built app and website. By working closely with landowners and on-staff biologists, they aim to bring you the best parts of accessing private land at the touch of a finger. They provide adventures for big game, turkeys, waterfowl, fly fishing, upland birds, small game predators, and more. As yearly leases get more expensive and secluded public land gets harder to find, I believe this is the way of the future. To check it out for yourself, download the Infinite Outdoors app or visit infiniteoutdoorsusa.com and use code nomadic15 for 15% off your annual membership of $39.99. What does that look like for non-residents? I mean, do you have to be a resident of Alberta or, you know, can you travel there from from out of state and still potentially get a tag every year for certain species?
2: So just to kind of give you a little bit of an idea, uh, so we have this thing called a Class C Guides license. So as a non-resident, I can, or as a resident, I can host, it's Class C or Hunter host, can you still hear me all right? Yep, I got you. Okay, perfect. So I can actually uh, host a non-resident family member or friend, I think it's, uh, I'm not sure if it's every year, but I think every two years. And you can buy the over-the-counter tax, but you still have to get an Alberta win number. So that's a wildlife identification number. It's basically a plastic card okay. that allows you to get into the draws, draw system, uh, allows you to buy your licenses, et cetera. Uh, but anyway, um, so if you wanted to get a, a uh, an over the counter, I think you can get bears for sure. It gives you two bears and uh, uh, white tail tags, and I think you're allowed to take a buck and two does. But wow. depending on the zone you're hunting, and yeah. uh, that's basically for the non resident fee without a, without a guide uh, fee. So. I think if you're hunting moose, you definitely need an outfitter, um, unless you get into the, to the draws, and then you can actually potentially come back in five, six, seven years, whatever it is and hunt a moose with your, with your hunter host, if you get drawn. Right. Nice. So I, I believe there's an over-the-counter elk tag as well, but I can't be sure of that. I'd have to double check that. Um, you know, Basically, the, the the bears and the whitetails are pretty open. Mule deer would be a draw tag, most likely, because most of them are. You know, John Dudley comes up and hunts not far from here. Actually, he drives right through town on his way to go north. Oh, sweet. He does that. Yeah, he does that hunt uh, up north by Valley View, Grand Prairie area every year. Um, or he did before COVID. I don't know that he's
1: been up for a while. But. Man. Yeah. No. It's, that's it's, cool uh, though the hunter host concept. You know, I I know in certain places uh, like Alaska if if you go up with an immediate family member, it you know, you can you can legally go and hunt with them, but as far as just being a hunter host, so it's not necessarily a guide, but more of like a chaperone while you go up there and hunt. I like that idea. I like that concept a lot better. Then having to be, you do have opinion. to have,
2: you do have to have proof of a hunter training certificate though. Oh, okay. So, I mean, keep that in mind, right? Like, I mean, they need to see that you are, um, I guess a safe hunter. That's the one stipulation to that. Yeah. So, I mean, wherever the jurisdiction that you hunt in currently, as long as you have your hunter training, you'd be good to, uh, basically get in involved in hunting in Alberta. Okay. Like say there, there is some, some stipulations where you have to use a, an outfitter and then the cost is going to be significant, but um, I've actually offered, I actually did actually do a hunter host for bears with uh, a buddy of mine because he, he, you actually was an official wildlife officer and he was looking for an additional host because he had a family coming up from Florida that he had basically swapped gator hunts with gators for bears. Right. (laughs) That's a pretty awesome um, swap. Right. so yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I'd probably, uh, be lined up to do some turkey hunting. If, uh, if somebody wanted a bear hunt, I'd probably be
1: able to make that happen. Oh Hey, <laughs> hey, listen, there's not a lot that I would rather trade than a turkey hunt. Cause I, I turkey hunt and like you said, I mean, you've listened long enough. I am not a diehard turkey hunter. I have been getting pretty excited about it this year but I would swap a turkey hunt for just about any other type of hunt. I mean, <laughs> I'd swap a turkey hunt for a good squirrel or rabbit hunt. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's because of that. Like I, on that day,
2: it, to British Columbia, I can hunt that with a small game license over there and they have a lot more of them. So, I mean, okay, to travel away from Alberta to do it. But, uh, you know. I would uh, almost want to have somebody with me that knew where I was allowed to hunt because you go there and there is this, the zone that I checked out. There's pulp mills and some certain, I guess, road corridor, corridor non-hunting areas that if, you, if you're if you not familiar with the area, you can get yourself into trouble, right? So yeah, I would almost prefer to do it with, with somebody that knew the area kind of thing, so. Yeah, but yeah, no. The bears is the bears is fun. Lots of guys do spot and stalk. Some guys do the bait thing. Um, you know, come May, there you can hunt till uh, I believe June 15th in uh, some of the zones north of town here. You got to watch for you know coat deteriorates after it starts to warm up. You know, we'll get you know high 70s, 80s in late May, beginning of June it's, it's warming up and they're rubbing their coats. So they, they tend to start showing, you know, rubbing the hair off and showing a lot of skin. So you want a, a good quality coat if you're going to come up for a, a rug or something like that. Right.
1: So. Yeah. All right. Do you, do they allow uh hound hunting for, for barren mountain lion up there? For mountain lion, yes.
2: And that's a winter hunt. It's usually from December till February, uh, but not for bears you go to BC, you can hunt bears with dogs. Okay. So British Columbia is with BC, right? Yeah. So that's west of us on, uh, along the coast or on the other side of the Rockies.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have any, but, uh, the more, the more I hunt with dogs, the more I want to own a lot of dogs for different types of hunts because I don't know why. There's just something about it, you know, like hunting over bait. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I've done it. I, I will do it again. Uh, but there's something about like spot and stock hunting that's really kind of gripped me lately. I still sit in the tree stand every year with my bow trying to shoot a big whitetail. Um, I'll forever do that. But for some reason, just like being on foot, the closer to the level that the animal is, I feel like the more adrenaline I get, the more exciting the hunt is. And then obviously if you're actually pursuing them, like chasing them down with dogs or, um, tracking them through the snow for some reason, the more primitive well, method only, you hunt, the, the more exciting it is to me. So we're not, we're not allowed to use
2: dogs for in any way for hunting other than the cougars okay. um, in Alberta. Uh, bait, you can't bait anything except for bears um, and feral hogs. Actually, we, we do have uh, feral hogs up here, believe it or Dang, not. Dang, really? They're, they're the Eurasian variety. So they're the big Russian boars. Um, they're starting to become a little bit of a problem. I've been hunting for about 20 years um, just because when I moved down here, we were too far from a uh, a fellow that was farming them and his fences weren't the greatest and pigs, you know, they're famous for getting out of fence any, uh, fences anyway. Yeah. So there's a, a natural, and it's, it's a natural population now, but it never was, obviously. Um, but yeah, they're doing quite
1: well in some areas in the province. So, is there a management know, plan to take care of those? Because I mean, I know, I know, once you get them, it's very hard to fully eradicate them. But uh, is that something that fishing games working towards up there is is trying to take them completely out? Yeah, no, the, the government is
2: definitely after them. Yeah, the, the, they got governments hired trappers to take out sounders. Yeah, uh, Typically, the government folks are saying that hunting actually spreads them. And it breaks the sounders and fractures them up and they become multiple small groups instead of one large group. So it's kind of funny The you know, some landowners are fine with it. You know, some aren't um, yeah. with the hunting part of it. Um, I Like I said, I've always hunted where i have permission and and been fine um and it's usually an incidental thing for me i'm out hunting whitetails and all of a sudden there's a hog so uh, you know you take it he goes into the, the pepperoni too it's no big deal <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> man the fat on those things is a different level and i would imagine you guys get some really thick pigs up there with a lot of fat on them uh, especially with well the actually they, they're not
2: very fat they're very lean because i think the The temperature extremes. And that's that's the thing is that I find the best time to hunt them is when it's super cold, like today would be a great day. Or when it's super warm and they gotta travel the water. Um so they tend to stay out of sight, they go nocturnal as soon as you shoot at them. There's no hunting a half hour before sunrise or a half hour sunset. There's no such thing as night hunting up here. Okay. Um, you know, so we're we're pretty confined. So trapping seems to be the best way to deal with the wild hogs.
1: Okay, man, that's interesting. I would have guessed that they were they had a thick layer of fat up there because of how cold it gets. But um, I wonder if you know their fat reserves just don't last very long because they're constantly after having to burn it off uh, traveling that far for water. I, it, I think
2: it's the I think it's the breed specifically. The Eurasians are actually uh, less uh, interbred with domestics. Okay, so actually, and it their their meat is very red. It's almost like uh, elk or deer like, um, and they're wow. lean. Everybody says, Oh bacon. Like, yeah, no, there's no bacon. There. <laughs> Dang. Right. Well, yeah. I've, I've killed a few. You probably see them on my the Instagram page. Yeah.
1: As well, yeah. I'll, that that's, yeah. that's crazy. I, uh, I would have guessed the opposite. Well, and what's funny is now thinking about that, the hunt that I went down on uh, to Georgia on, I would have guessed that the pigs down there were going to be pretty lean but they had more fat than any pigs I've killed up here. Um, and so so maybe it's kind of like a, an adverse effect that from what you would normally think. Um, but then again, like you said, the breeding side of it, if, if they're more of like a pure Eurasian pig versus a domesticated that's been bred with wild hogs, uh, you know, naturally they're probably not gonna carry as much fat as, as the, the yeah, that,
2: that seems to be my, my take on it. Anyway, they're, they're super lean. Uh, it could be just the caloric demand because of the weather. I mean, the, uh, it's harsh, right? Yeah. So this time of the year, when it's minus 30, like it is today, they'll be moving to feed a lot earlier and they, uh, they need to just to stay alive. Like they go into silage pits uh, where, or haystacks, or they get into grain bins. I mean, they're a problem this time of year uh, for the farmers, for sure.
1: Yeah, they just, every everyone I talk to, everywhere I look, it seems like there's either a pig problem or they're just started to become a pig problem. And I'm curious to see what's going to happen with it because hearing the guys down in Texas talk about it, especially those southern states here, they've got the worst of it. Uh, from what I understand, but the the billions of dollars of damage in crops and and vehicle collisions and um, You know just just everything seems to be destroyed or disrupted by these pigs and I Don't know what it's going to take but there's got to be something drastic that happens in order to solve that problem there,
2: there's a bit of uh, a bit of that concern
1: up here, but I Like I
2: said, I've been hunting them for a long time and it seems like the population, you know, kind of ebbs and flows based on weather, Uh, you know, this year we have all the farmers got all of their crops in the bins. They're not, there's nothing laying on the fields left there for them to eat. Yeah. So I think it's been a pretty challenging year. So even though the numbers are up, because we had a couple of wet falls in the last probably three or four years where there was lots of swaths left, you know, barley fields that got cut, but never got combined uh you know things like that where there was lots of feed and you know maybe that boosted the population numbers but this year because everybody got everything into the bins there's very little feed I think and then we've had this will be the third cold snap where it's been below minus 30. we had one rate right at the beginning of December one rate right just right after right around the new year and uh, now we're having this one and it's hard on the population not only the feral animals but we get a lot of deer winter killed too right so yeah uh, you know coyote numbers the deer the the coyotes are fed well as well because the deer you know they they take a bit of a hit when it gets cold like this to stress on them right so
1: yeah i would imagine especially right after right after the rut that's got to be a double-edged sword you know losing all of that weight during the rut chasing does around fighting off other bucks and then you get hit with Severe cold yeah. like that, I could see the, that. The thing
2: toll. that that I think is harder on them up here is you get that thaw. Like we we actually have some days where it's you know the snow's melting. It's it's a beautiful day. Like you can, for us, you can run around in, in, a, in a light sweater, whereas you know probably you'd still be cold. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know the the snow melts, you get a crust on it because it freezes again, and then the predators can run on top of that, the deer can't, and they have to paw through that crust to get to their, you know, their food source. Yeah. So they get less um, quality feed or less feed in general. And then the coyotes and everything else can run on top of that crust of snow and run them down. So, you know, it's, I think it's a little harder as the, the winter closes for us, depending on that freeze thaw cycle that we get. And then these cold snaps, right? So
1: yeah, man. That's
2: just kind of my take on it, anyway. But uh, no, that makes
1: sense. I mean, it seems like just a wild, wild place to hunt. You know, being that close to the mountains, that close to farmlands and rivers, and to have the variety of game, you're kind of in a sportsman's paradise up there.
2: We we actually have some species that you can't hunt, like we have bison. Uh, north of me, uh, um, there's um, Mountain Caribou to the west. You know, probably within an hour or two of of home, I'd say two hours. There's Mountain Caribou, but, but there's no no season for those. Yeah, you can hunt uh, Rocky Mountain Sheep uh, with a draw tag. There's some actually zones that are actually open for rifle hunts, general tags, but you gotta you gotta go after them. Right? You gotta get in there, and it's there's no at In horses but you know that's a resident thing again but uh, yeah yeah i mean the variety game is crazy
1: man that's yeah that's insane cool place to live yeah bison caribou elk mule deer sheep oh my goodness you're you're getting me excited (laughs) and all i've got coming up in my near future is turkey hunting so uh yeah this this maybe was not the most timely. I, I should have done this right before November when I'm actually heading out to do some of these big hunts. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, now I'm just going to be dreaming. Maybe this will hold me over until we get after uh, some big game stuff. But
2: Well, Bears is coming up. So, I mean, we can start putting baits out in, uh, I think, we can put them out the last two weeks of March because I think the season opens in April. Even though there's usually still snow on the ground, the bears aren't moving around much. But I've had bears on, you know, when there's lots of snow on the ground, they're coming out of their dens. They're not going far from their dens, but they really need the, and they come to the baits because typically they're omnivores. So they, they're eating, you know, clovers and grasses, but there's no clover and grass in April, not until May. Yeah. Right. So.
1: Yeah. But I heard yeah. that a, a large, majority of a bear's diet actually isn't any type of meat you know it's plant based and then obviously they'll supplement with rodents with calves and fawns in the spring with fish if uh if there's a big fish run salmon or trout or whatever um but as far as even grizzlies uh i was i was looking at videos of that or maybe i was listening to a podcast about that and it's surprising how much of their diet actually comes from plants
2: yeah, absolutely. They're, I would say that 90% of it is plant-based. Uh, you know, people that, that prefer to eat bear, they usually wait for a fall bear because you can hunt them spring and fall, but they've been eating berries all summer. So it's like they're they're sweet, right? Like they, they yeah. tend to start to taste like the food that you, or whatever they're eating. And uh, yeah, it's funny because you know, when we're baiting them in the spring, usually we like for instance, we'd do some ice fishing and we keep all our skins and our fish, fish entrails and whatnot, that we put them in a pail and we hang on to them until spring. And then we put them out there to bring the bears in. And, uh, you know, you're feeding them basically waste. Like we use chicken, fryer grease and stuff like that. Yeah. Oats or dog food or whatever. And, uh, you're feeding them some not prime food. And, uh, it seems like the, the further you get into the season, you know, once the grasses start growing, they're less attracted to boiled food. So you gotta, yeah. you gotta make sure your bait has got some good fur stuff in there, or they're not even going to bother. They're just going to eat grass. Wow. So it, there's a bit of an art to it. You want it to smell a little bit first thing in the year, bring them in. But when, uh, when it's getting closer to May, when you want the big ones to come around, Typically, you get the sows in, and then the boars come because yeah. that's their breeding season. at the beginning of June, and uh, you get a few sows in, and then the boars come around. But if you don't have good fresh food, you won't get any bears. Uh, you know,
1: so it, it's there's a bit of a trick to it. See, I, if I was if I was up there, I'd like to do a study, and for one whole year, you know, you feed them a certain type of food. The next year, you change it. You know, one year you just do like really sweet food. I know my mom, she, she can bait on her property up in Wisconsin, and she would go and get like a bunch of old cookies and stuff. Just a lot of sweet treats, donuts, things like that. And I'd be curious side by side if you could take a steak from multiple bears and then based on the flavor or based on the food that they're eating, if how much it changes that flavor of them.
2: Well, I, I know that if I'm, if I'm uh, cooking bear myself, it's typically in sausage, but I mean, if I'm going to cook bear, I'll cook it on an open flame. I'm not a fan of the, uh, the fat on the bear. Okay. So I like it barbecued on, you know, charbroiled kind of thing to make sure that it cooks that fat off.
1: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That's just
2: my personal preference. Lots of guys, like they harvest it just for the, for the fat alone and they'll render the fat. It's supposed to be the best thing for making pastry. So hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I have almost zero experience bird hunting. I've got a couple tags, zero success, never even seen one while hunting. Um, but it is something that I'd like to do in the future. And I always buy one when I go out to Colorado because you can get an over-the-counter tag um, for the unit that I hunt in or for a lot of the units during second rifle season. So um, who knows? Maybe one day I'll have to try some rendered bear fat and use them in pastries or use them, use it to cook with. That sounds pretty cool. Right. Well, Ron, I appreciate you hopping on, man. This was, this was a really fun conversation. Sorry, for, sorry for the uh, technical issues, but uh, before we hop off, I want to give you a chance to share with the listeners where they can find you. Cause I'm telling everybody who's listening to this, you got to go on his social media pages and just look at some of the pictures and tell me that's not cool. I mean, moose from a tree stand. There's videos of it, uh, like you said, the pigs, fish, mule deer, target shooting, everything. He's got it all on his social media pages. So Ron, where where can they go and find you?
2: So uh, I do have a Facebook page, but there's a lot of Ron Browns out there, so it'd be difficult to find me there. But uh, Instagram, it's uh, Ron, uh, Ron Brown 4062 uh, and, yeah, that's basically uh, probably the the most, I guess, the easiest way to catch me is on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate that. I'm just uh, out there trying to do my thing. I'm a, I'm a pro staff shooter for a couple of archery companies. So I tend to do the Instagram thing just to support that.
1: Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. Well, I definitely appreciate it. and. We'll have to keep in touch, see how this season goes, and for real, I'm down to swap some turkey tags. I, I will let you know, a non-resident turkey license is pretty expensive down here. It's like 224 bucks for a turkey, which I didn't even realize it until this last year when I invited somebody, and then they found out the price, and they were like, dude, do you realize how expensive it is? And I was like, nope, I would never pay that much to turkey hunt, so it depends on how diehard you are about coming and shooting yeah, it's, a turkey.
2: sometimes it's about the experience. Right. So, I mean, you'd have to basically Google the, uh, Alberta, uh, regulations yourself. I mean, to f- find out what the non-resident alien, uh, tag prices are. But I mean, if you're coming up for a whitetail or for a bear, I think bears pretty, pretty affordable. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I think my first tag is 35 bucks and the second one. Like if I, I have the option of buying a second tag, but as a non-resident, you automatically get two. Great, nice. So, yeah, and I mean, I can I can kill two bears for under sixty
1: dollars Canadian, right? So, jeez. Yeah, that'd be a nice problem to have. I mean, it's like that for us here with deer and turkey. I mean, deer is like twenty something bucks. You get a buck, a couple does. Turkey, you get two toms uh, in the spring, and then. You can shoot toms or hens in the fall. And so resident prices here are great, but I just had no idea that that much, or they charge that much for non-residents for turkey. Cause you can hunt almost every other species in in Missouri for cheaper than you can hunt turkeys. You get more
2: bang for your buck with your buck up here too. I think it's $1.35 right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Keep, keep that
1: in mind. <laughs> All right, well, settled. Turkey for whitetail. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah no we can talk about that yeah well sweet man i appreciate it you have a good rest of your day stay warm i mean yeah negative 20 i i'm not i'm not envious of you right now
2: yeah i gotta drive a couple hours to the city here this afternoon so
1: we'll see how that goes nice well thanks man and uh we'll keep in touch you bet take care